in our day. bless you. You may be seated. I thank God today for brother and sister Mayo and this church. And I want to publicly, brother Mayo, say I apologize for being late. I am 10 years late to this meeting. And I want you to know that I, I look back and I think, boy, was I a loser for not coming over the last 10 years. So thank you for having it. Thank you for staying with it. And may God bless it in the future. <laughs> Hope this is right to say this. I know it's going over Holy Ghost Radio. So if I say something that's inappropriate, uh, forgive me, Brother Hoffer. But I was just so proud of Miles Young last night. When you, <clears throat> when you see him uh, grow up. And you don't know how they're going to turn out. And then you see what we saw last night. I can't help it. I just, I just sat there and said, thank you, God, that these young men are becoming men of God. And, uh, I've never heard better than last night. Simply never heard any better than last night. Give honor today to the other ministers in this place. Way too many to note each individual one, but I certainly love all of you and appreciate you and uh, would certainly be happy for any of you to be filling this spot. Give honor today to the saints of the Most High God. You are wonderful people. Thank you for coming and being a part of this meeting, and I pray God blesses you uh, today. Uh, give thanks for Holy Ghost Radio. I have a love-hate relationship with Holy Ghost Radio. I love it every single time except when I preach. And uh, <clears throat> this happens on occasion. I was across the country not too long ago. Man, I thought I was going to preach a sermon. A man walked up to me and said, had not met me and said, are you? And I said, yes, I am. He said, man, I just heard you preach such and such on Holy Ghost Radio. And I put that one away and said, well, that one won't work tonight. Praise God. <laughs> so that's the other hate aspect of it. That, uh, but I'll surrender that for the good benefit of reaching the people that he's reached. And Brother Hoffer, I personally feel like you've done an amazing work. Uh, I mean that. Uh, I'm not exaggerating at all when I say that Holy Ghost Radio has blessed tens of thousands of people. I think most of you are familiar with a little portion in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Most people that begin reading their Bible make it that far. And uh, I think you're familiar with uh, that at the close of chapter 3, there is a remarkable incident that's a little ambiguous for my mind. I don't feel like I truly understand it, but I know it happened. Uh, after Adam and Eve made their fall paw and did their wrong deed, the Lord dealt with all of it, appropriated the correct judgment on all of it. And then it tells us that he kicked him out of the garden and that he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden a cherubim and a flaming sword to protect them from going back 
to the tree of life. That concept makes me realize that there are some things that are so valuable that we need to place a sentinel to protect from that. And as simple as that is, that's my subject matter today, a sentinel. I want to remind you of things you already know to begin with. And that is that Jeremiah, the 14-year-old prophet speaking in the early years of his ministry, told us unequivocally that the heart is deceitful. And desperately wicked. Your heart is sly. Your heart is insidious. Those are some of the words used in the original language. I want to remind you also that the writer of Psalms, very familiar passage, says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Search in this instance means to penetrate and examine intimately. So I'm going to submit to you today that there are two things that are extremely valuable. One of them is your heart. And the other one is your mind. And I'm going to ask God to help us before this service is over. To roll back many years of warfare and struggle by learning how to place a sentinel on our mind and on our heart so that we can defeat the enemy that we so hate. In many ways, uh, our lives are like a puzzle. We are continuously and constantly trying to figure things out. Sometimes we overanalyze and we get in mental loops that are dead ends. We go down these dead end streets and we as people spend enormous amounts of energy and emotional effort to sort it all out. We talk it out with friends. We go to Starbucks. We pray about it. Sometimes we get real bold and we even fast about it we get excited because we think we have it figured out only to fall back in the muck a few hours or days later we go to church and we shout and dance and walk out absolutely sure it is behind us conquered dealt with only to become broadsided again a few days or weeks later. We go through life trying to make all the pieces fit. Sometimes it seems our life is like a round puzzle with no defined corners or borders to even assemble the edges for a start. You know, as a kid, you, you get the corners, square edges, and get the border, and then you, at least you got a start place. Sometimes our life doesn't even have that. Other times it seems like the colors of our life are bizarre. They just don't match up. There's, there's no pattern. There's no rhyme. There's no reason no matter how much we think and ponder it. We look at all the disparate pieces of our life and we wonder how in the world could any of this make sense? Abuse, betrayal, Failure, trials, many things. And we just can't make heads or tails out of it. Consequently, many times our contentment and our happiness is founded in our ability to make sense of our life. When we finally can make sense of it, then we're like, okay, cool. Sometimes we feel alone. And truly feel like no one really understands where we are. 
There is absolutely no one in this building right now that has not at some point felt isolated and cut off. It's universal among us. We feel frustrated because we keep traveling the same mental treadmill. We walk and we walk and we walk and we never get anywhere. We ride the merry-go-round for days and weeks and honestly sometimes for years. We deal with insecurity. We deal with no confidence in ourselves. We deal with self-hatred. We deal with dissatisfaction with who we are. We read self-help books. We go to seminars. We go to summit. We listen to sermons. We try to figure it all out. We do things to figure out ourselves. And then we feel better. Then we feel worse. Then we feel hopeless. Then we swing back spiritually and feel powerful again. Our most enjoyable sermons are empowerment sermons. You might as well admit it. When that preacher makes you feel like you can conquer everything, you walk out the back door saying, I got it. I can do this. And three days later, you're sniveling on Facebook. Would somebody pray for me? Turn to your neighbor and say, this is a real life sermon today. On and on we go, the puzzle of life. And then the whys of life begin to pile up until we are imprisoned by them. Why did I lose my job? Why did I lose my child? Why did I lose my spouse? Why did I lose my health? Why? 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 Until they become walls that enclose us. It's the unfinished symphony of our lives. Still blurry after all these years. Still lines undefined and not understood after years of thought and study and prayer. Some people cannot deal with it. They walk away from God, take the path of least resistance. They choose to live with no restraint. They backslide. There are no standards, no holiness, and no authority. They walk away from the church, from the pastor, and from God. Others just grit their teeth and bear the unpleasant journey of an unsolved life. Sometimes they even see themselves as martyrs for the cause of Christ. As if this land of confusion is some sort of pleasing thing to God. You know, God gets glory from their suffering, this mental duress. They feel they're being perfected by this painful process of mental and emotional duress and confusion. Their God is a deranged God who finds joy in inflicting pain on his loyal followers. The people I like the most are the people who simply ignore the whole process. And they could care less whether you like them or not. They just go ahead and live God. That's the one I like best. But what if we could turn to God today in this service and find some elusive answers? What if today, instead of palliating our problem, we could actually fix our problem? Palliate means to relieve the pain, but not cure the problem. And I'm submitting to you that I and you and all of us together, no finger pointing today, that we have learned how to professionally palliate our problems. We have learned how to shout on Sunday night and get just enough deliverance to see us through to the midweek. And then we come back and we palliate it again until we can't feel the pain, but the problem is not resolved. I want to preach today and try to help some people that have lived with lifelong issues. That it's who you are and what you are. And if somehow we could break that off of you today, your future would be a whole lot different than your past has been. And I'm talking about in the church. (laughs) 
Jeremiah said, you, you, your heart is deceitful. You don't know your heart. I know you think you do. And many times I hear people say, well, I know my heart. My expression may not change, but inside I'm saying, no, actually you do not know your heart. Right now, some of you don't agree with me. It's okay. I'll go with Jeremiah. You go with Dr. Spock. Today, my subject matter is about our hearts and our minds and how it can deceive us. In fact, your heart can, will, and does absolutely lie to you. In the Tao Te Ching, sorry if that offends you, Lao Tzu said, a great nation is like a great man. When he makes a mistake, he realizes it. Having realized it, he admits it. Having admitted it, he corrects it. He considers those who point out his faults his most benevolent teachers. I'm going to submit a word to you today. Some of you know it. Some of you may not. It's a word called confabulation. It means that you fill in the gaps of your memory with fabrication that you believe to be facts. Your memory does not record in video. Your memory, unequivocally, they've proven it through studies. I don't have the page number like my good friend does, but they did. Your memory works in snapshots. And then you connect those snapshots. And this is an amusing and amazing concept because I see it all the time in husbands and wives, families get together, friends that are sharing a hunting trip, whatever. They will have been in the same place at the same time, but they will come away with a completely different story. And one of them will be telling you the story and they will say, wait, wait, that's not how it happened. And the other will say, what do you mean that's not how it happened? I was there. Yeah. They asked me the hardest part about traveling alone. I said, you have to finish all your own sentences by yourself. <laughs> Get with married people. He'll start, she'll finish. She'll start, he'll finish. No criticism, just humor. I'm going to tell you something. Most people, when they are directly confronted by evidence that they are wrong, do not change their point of view. But they justify it even more. Irrefutable evidence will not pierce their armor of justification. Say, well, it does with me. That's why I'm preaching to you today because your heart's lying to you. And that's why we need a sentinel on our heart. That's why we've got to have a sentinel on our mind. We've got to say, I do not know how to do this by myself. I've got to have the word and I've got to have a pastor because I am going to get it messed up if I handle it by myself. Self-justification minimizes your mistakes and your bad decisions. Aldous Huxley said, there's probably no such thing as a conscious hypocrite. <laughs> I agree. That's why everyone can see the hypocrite except the hypocrite. Let me tell you what happens with your memory. When it comes to our memory, we prune them and we shape them to fit our ego. We tell a great story and we embellish it just a little bit. And then the next time we tell it, we embellish it a little more. And the next time we tell it, we embellish it a little more. One of my favorite people was your father, Brother Elder. And before the story was done... He had shot that elk at 850 yards. And I would say, Elder, 
Do you know how much a bullet drops at 850? I don't care. I stepped it off. It was 850 yards. You know what I said? I said, Elder, if you say it was 850 yards, it was 850 yards. Because I'm not going to argue with an elder. In age or name. I want to tell you that your heart will get things mixed up. Your heart will lie to you. Let me give you a classic example of this thing called confabulation. There was a fellow by the name of Tom Brokaw, some kind of news person, and he did an interview with a man by the name of Gore Vidal. Gore Vidal is an author, wrote many successful novels. And on this interview, Tom Brokaw continued to ask Mr. Gore Vidal about bisexuality to the embarrassment and aggravation of Gore Vidal. Several times, Gore Vidal said, I didn't come here to talk about bisexuality. I came here to talk about my books. Years later, when Tom Brokaw retired, they asked him his preference of all the interviews you've ever done. Which one did you like the best? He said, the one with Gore Vidal. They said, why? He completely flipped it. He said, because he kept asking me about bisexuality. And I kept pulling him back and saying, we're not here to talk about that. So they played him the video. And he did what most of us do when, con when confronted with irrefutable evidence. He said, they messed with this. That's not the way it happened. Because that's what confabulation does. You see, your heart wants you to look good in every way possible. So it will prune your memories. And as the years go on, you will learn how to do this. Even though you never go to school. And they never write it on a chalkboard. And you never read it in an online class. Your heart will teach you how to confabulate. And redesign something so that you look better. There's a man here today from our church. You'll remember this little story. Had a new convert come in the church one day, and he's very upset. He said, Pastor, Brother So-and-so said he was going to punch me out. I said, he did not. I know him. He's not, he didn't say that. He said, yes, he did. He said he was going to punch me out. I said, all right, I'm going to go ask him. So I did. He's here today. The man that I asked. I said, did you tell brother so-and-so you're going to punch him out? He said, yeah, I did. <laughs> I was like, you did? And he said, yeah, did he tell you what he did? I said, no. When he told me what he did, I said, why didn't you punch him out? <laughs> That's us. We present it in a way that doesn't give all the facts. We, we break off little. We break off little pieces and we tell part of the story to present ourselves. And I, I came to tell you today, your heart will lie to you. Every now and then you got to drag it up to an altar and you got to pray it through. And you got to say, search me, God. I can't believe everything I think about myself. I can't. I can't. Let me tell you one that's helped me as a pastor. Maybe no other pastors ever experienced this, but I, I, I would think you have. I mean, I wasn't there, but I, I've had people come in my office and sit down and talk to me. And when I mentioned something that went on many years ago, and I lived through it with them, I remember the consequences. Sometimes they even had notes on it. And they did what Tom Brokaw did. They have completely flipped that. And I'm thinking, you're lying. How can you sit in my office and lie to the pastor in the sight of God? It helped me to understand that sometimes this thing called confabulation 
comes into play. That it's too painful to realize that I really did that. And so you begin to change. Well, I, I might have done that, but they did this. And, and by the time you've confabulated over a period of years, you have completely redesigned that entire event. That you did not commit adultery. That you did not commit fornication. That you did not go to the movies. That you did not. But others were uh, part of that. And, 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 and I'm looking at them thinking, how can you sit there and say that? And it made me understand that their heart can convince them of things. And that's why we have got to have a man of God in the pulpit with the word of God challenging us confronting us yeah Nietzsche said and I don't like Nietzsche but he said this and I like this he said I have done that says my memory I cannot have done that, says my pride. My memory says I stole a candy bar. My pride says I would never steal anything. This is called cognitive dissonance. Not into big words, but it means when you have thoughts that can't agree. I stole a candy bar, but I'm really a good person. I stole a candy bar, but I'm honest. And Nietzsche said, memory eventually yields. Ten years later, I didn't steal that candy bar. I found it on the ground. I didn't steal that candy bar. The owner of the store gave it to me. I didn't steal that candy bar. I bought two last week and only took one home, and so I went back to get the other one. Just Your mind is an amazing thing. Right now, while I am preaching... Some of you are listening with part of your mind. And others, you, others of you are also looking good. Sitting there in church clothes. Clapping at the right time. Standing at the right time. Amening at the right time. But you're also planting flowers in your garden. And you're already balancing your checkbook. And deciding where you're going to go for lunch. That's how incredible our mind is. It is a great opportunity for spirituality. But it can be a devastating thing when it comes to living for God. I, I read an interesting story by Carol Tavis. She wrote a, a book, and in this book, she told how that she enjoyed her father reading her stories at night. And the story that was her favorite was a story called The Mighty O. It was about a band of pirates that landed on an island, and you could not use the word O. I mean, the letter O. So you couldn't say love, honor, loyal. Couldn't, couldn't use the letter O. And so she loved that story. And her dad sitting on her bed and reading. She was shocked years later when she was in a bookstore. And she found an original copy of the mighty O. And she looked at the date that it was published. And lo and behold, it was published the year after her father died. Her father did not sit on her bed and read her that story. Although her memory said he did. For years she had gone back down memory lane. And they have proven that memory will prune itself. Memory will work against you. And memory will do things that, that your mind doesn't understand. Let me give you the classic case in my life. And I know that uh, Brother and Sister Holmes are here and Brother King, I don't think he's here. I haven't seen him if he is, but this is a wonderful story in my life. Years ago, Brother Johnny King and I were out uh, in, in the woods and, and a bear chased us. And one of us, that's for Holy Ghost Radio, one of us jumped in the car and locked the door and the other one's on the outside with the bear. Now for years I have contended that Brother King jumped in the car and locked the doors and left me outside with the bear. He contends I jumped in the car and locked the doors and left him out there with the bear. One of us is confabulating. 
Here's my defense. Take a look at me. I'm as wide as I am tall. Johnny King can run like a deer. Is there anybody in the house that really believes I could outrun Johnny King to the car? Let me tell you. When you go bear hunting, you don't have to outrun the bear. You only have to outrun your friend. So go with friends that you can outrun. Simple. Classic case of one of us doesn't remember it right. You would be amazed. People remember voting for candidates that they did not vote for. People remember voting when they didn't even go to the polls to vote at all. Men that they've done studies on years later. One particular study, I think it was uh, almost 40 years later, they interviewed these men when they were in high school and they had them write down their answers on a piece of paper. 14 questions. Many years later, 34 years later, they got them back together and asked them the same questions and all their answers were different. And then they said, how did you answer it when you were in high school? They got it all wrong. When they handed them their paper and their own handwriting, they said, you guys have messed with this. That's not what I did. Now, I'm not trying to make you paranoid today. And I'm not trying to point an indictment of fing- a finger of indictment. I'm simply telling you that Jeremiah said, your heart is deceitful above all things. It will lie to you. It will not tell you the truth. And that's why you need an apostolic church. That's why you need to go to the house of God. That's why you need a preacher in your life. It's very, very hard for us to believe that our memory is wrong. In fact, it's almost impossible to convince someone. It's like sitting at a table and somebody says something, and everybody at the table hears it, and they say, you said so-and-so, and and the one person said, I didn't say that. Has this ever happened to you? They said, yeah, you did. We heard you. No, I didn't. I said something. No, you didn't. We all heard you. To convince them of what they really said, they may acquiesce, but you can see it in their eyes. They still don't believe you. Our memory is an amazing thing. I have a friend. I was telling him about this concept. We were actually on a trip together flying someplace, and he just started laughing uncontrollably. I said, what are you laughing at? He said, that happened to me this week. We're driving down the road, and we're talking about an event in our family history. And my son said, yeah, Dad, I remember that. The dad looked at him and said, what do you mean you remember that? He said, oh, I remember that really well. He said, well, that's interesting. You weren't even born yet. He heard it so many times that he brought it into his memory until it becomes a merged thing. Let me tell you, there's some real death traps in this. You can merge your memory that people don't like you and the church is against you and the pastor preaches only to you. I'm telling you, you got to get that out of your head. You got to say, I will not listen to that. I'm putting a sentinel on my mind and I'm putting a cherubim on my heart. Let's pray right now that God help us in this service. God, I believe you're going to deliver some people that have struggled for years and decades before this service is over. I believe healing is going to come to hearts and minds and spirits. I believe you're going to help people with depression today. I believe you're going to help people that have insecurities today. I believe you're going to walk the corridors of our heart and our mind. And we're going to put the word of God as a sentinel on our spirit. And God, people are going to be delivered from things that have handicapped them for years in the name of the Lord. Thank you for your kind response. You may be seated. In 1995, in Germany, a man by the name of Benjamin Wilkomirsky published a book. The title of the book was Fragments. It was a memoir of his horrifying childhood experience in the concentration camps of Maginek and Birkenau. The book received extravagant worldwide praise. 
New York Times called it stunning. Los Angeles Times called it a classic first-hand account of the Holocaust. In the USA, the book received the 1996 National Jewish Book Award, as well as other awards. In Britain, it won literary prizes. In France, it won literary prizes. Mr. Will Kormersky went on a six-city tour for the Holocaust Museum to raise money. And then guess what? They found out that the book Fragments was a total and complete confabulation. The author's real name was Bruno Grosjean. He was not Jewish. There was no ancestry in his family with Jewish ties. Furthermore, he had never one time in his life stepped inside a concentration camp. He read books, saw films, and he became what he read in his mind. There was no sentinel on his mind. I'm telling you, it's important what you read. It's important what you allow to go into your mind. Just because it's not illegal doesn't mean that it's not immoral. Don't. You got to have a sentinel on your mind. How did this happen? Because this man was so depleted inside. He was so worthless. He was such a nothing. He needed to persuade himself of something. And there was no sentinel on his mind. So he literally metamorphed into a new identity. Because the pain dictated by being who he was made him start a new beginning. He blossomed in his new role as a concentration camp victim. He survived the Holocaust. Wow. What a man he mattered. Now before we point our finger at him too drastically, remember, we all do it to some degree. We look in a mirror. Ties straight. Hair's right. And we walk off. And for the next two hours, we have that picture in our mind. Now your tie is crooked now and your hair's falling down, but you still have that. Sorry about that. Now your suit's wrinkled. Your hair is falling down. But you're still walking around thinking, man, I look good today. We recreate memories. We add to them. And this is the important part. And then we believe the recreation as being valid and real. The story grows. Memory creates our stories. And then our stories create our memory. Cognitive dissonance. In 1932, there was a Yale professor named Edwin Borchard. He published a book called Convicting the Innocent. It was 65 stories of people who were innocent but had been convicted. Eight of those 65 stories involved murders. <laughs> he proved those murders were not correct because in all eight instances, the victim was still alive. I would think that's pretty conclusive. He's in jail for murdering John, and John's out there working his job. John is obviously not dead. You know what their response was? He's still guilty. People don't convict innocent people. Because let me remind you, when you're confronted with evidence to the contrary, it doesn't usually make you surrender. It only makes you more sure you're right. I don't have time to go through all the studies, but it's there. And the whole point here is to show you that every single day of our lives, our minds continue to work. Your mind doesn't go to sleep when you do. When you open your eyes in the morning, you don't have to say, wake up, time to get up. It's already awake. It's been working all night. Sometimes when you open your eyes, and that one thing you were trying to remember the day before, when you open your eyes, blink, there it is. 
while you were sleeping, it went through all those little rolls and channels and boxes and whatever and found it and put it on the front and said, okay, when they wake up, I'll give it to them. Sometimes you face problems. You don't know how to fix it. Car problem, building problem, whatever. And you wake up in the morning and your eyes open up. And the very first thing you think, yep, there's the answer right there. You know why? Because your mind never goes to sleep. It never rests. It's always working. Hallelujah. If there's ever been a moment in the midst of all the things we heard about last night, what the elder talked about this morning, we need God to search my heart and see if there be any wicked thing in me. Because my heart will lie to me. May I tell you that our minds are our most private, intimate place. And we alone control that secret place. Now, I believe this. These preachers may believe differently, and if the pastor believes differently, he's right. I'm wrong. But I have lived believing that Satan can put thoughts into your head, but he can't read your mind. I hope that's true. I hope it's true that he can put thoughts in your mind. (laughs) Why else would you come out of the Holy Ghost service, be driving down the road, minding your own business, and then this little thought zing through your head, why don't you go get a beer? That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. So he marks that one off. That's not his thing. But he's got his little clipboard, and he follows you. And maybe this time you're driving down the road, and there's a very attractive person of the opposite sex walking down the sidewalk, and he says, check that out. And you look, and then you look. He said, got him. He marks that. Because most of us here today fight the same battle over and over and over and over again. You know why? Because he has studied you. He has watched you. He, had, he knows not to invite you to take a beer anymore. You threw that one off. But when he saw that second look, he said, okay, we got a, we got a little problem here. Let's work on this. Hallelujah. And that's what living for God is all about. It's usually not about 10 problems. It's usually not about 100 problems. It's about that one last frontier that you haven't been able to nail down. God's going to help us nail down some today before this service is over because we're going to put a sentinel on our mind. We're going to put a cherub on our heart to keep the eternal things of God. Paul said, you need to cast down imaginations and bring every thought into captivity. It goes on in that passage to say that obedience revenges disobedience. Some of you, all of us, have had moments where we came to church and we were pretty sure God was mad at us. We were mad at ourselves. We didn't like the way we'd been doing. We're mad at ourselves. And when I talk like this, everybody looks so holy and righteous and so I'm sure this is just me and all the folks from Lake Taps but you're so sure God's mad at you and then you come to church and you're, you're you know you're kind of like and man you just feel the glory world just pour down on you and you're like wow I don't get this I was I don't deserve this I, he, I, I, what is what is going on here I want to tell you that obedience avenges disobedience. That's what Paul said. You can't go back and undo what you did. But you can go forward. And you can keep paying your tithes. And you can keep going to the church. And you can keep singing in the choir. And your obedience avenges your disobedience. I'm almost, I'm, I'm nearly done. Obedience is never hard if you understand. It's when it makes no sense. And your mind is wide open to doubt and cynicism that you struggle to obey. 
please, young person, put a sentinel on your mind, especially if you go to public school. Bring those thoughts into captivity. I was in a large class at the university one day, about 150 students. Very qualified, very gifted teacher was teaching. She came across the Y chromosome thing in relationship to percentage of people that claim a homosexual lifestyle. And I'm older. Back then, this is 20 years ago, but I was almost 40. All them kids in there, 18, 19, 17, 20. And I remember her letting the class know that how high a percent of homosexual people have the extra Y chromosome. And she left it there. And if she had just left it there like that, those unguarded minds would have walked out of that form thinking they are genetically disposed because of an extra Y chromosome. It's not their fault. They were born that way. And I got angry. And I'm not boasting. I'm just telling you the story. I remember raising my hand. She said, yes. I said, would you mind telling these young people in this room how many people have the Y chromosome that are not homosexuals? She didn't want to tell that because the extra Y chromosome has absolutely nothing to do with being homosexual. Millions of people have the extra Y chromosome. She's breaking off a little piece to try to present to our world that there's a chemical reason for that activity. And I wanted to say, wait just a minute. If they can't guard their mind, they need somebody to stand up and say, no, that is not true. Where's Brother Hall? You know what I'd like to see happen here? I would like to see young people in particular, but everyone, especially people. Appreciate Brother Hall being here, good friend of mine. Appreciate him very much. I wish everyone, I wish middle-aged women that struggle with identity and feel like they really don't contribute to our world could get a hold of this today. I wish young people could get a hold of it. I wish frustrated pastors could get a hold of it and say, I am in charge of my mind. God gave it to me. It's the most priceless gift I have. My mind and my heart cannot be invaded if they put me in a concentration camp. If they put me in solitary confinement, I still hold the keys to my mind and my heart. And I went to Summit and I made up my mind. I'm putting a sentinel. I'm putting a cherub to protect the eternal things of my life. That my mind and my heart are way too valuable to remove the sentinel that should be protecting it. And I went there and I came home and I have not been depressed. I didn't just palliate my depression. I didn't just relieve it by getting in one Holy Ghost apostolic service and shouting and talking in tongues and then go back to my car and take it out of the trunk and take it home with me. No, I got deliverance. That's what I'm wanting to happen in this service would you stand with me right now would you just lift your hands and pray with me that issues of life would be dealt with in this altar that deliverance would come to people who have sought it for years people with insecurities people with inferiority complexes People that are trampled underneath depression. Can I tell you how crazy it is that your mind can lie to you? Consider with me how many beautiful people you've seen in your life and they think they're totally ugly. Their heart lies to them. Consider how many brilliant, successful people that are admired esteemed and looked up to 
and in their own heart they feel like they're a nothing and a zero and never will be as good as somebody else the devil is a master at this he can't stop you from getting in the church you're in it he can't stop you from getting baptized you're in it he can't stop you from getting the Holy Ghost you're in it but he can get in your mind and tell you you're a nothing you're a nobody you don't matter and God wants you to know that you are important to him bow our heads for just a moment we go to meetings and we hear empowerment preaching and thank God we do and we palliate for a short period of time we're relieved from the constant struggle to matter and the puzzle of life is pushed off the table and then we go back home and before the week is out it's pastor can you pray for me just struggling again it's this constant forward backward I don't believe it's the will of God I believe there is a place that you can put a sentinel on your mind and you can put a cherubim on your heart that says I will not listen to my heart and I will not listen to the created memories and the confabulation of my life I will go to my pastor and when he tells me I'm alright I will believe that I'm alright I will not give in to these things eyes closed all over the building I'm not as confident as my friend Paul Elder and I say that with all due respect I mean this I'm not as confident that I heard from God on this. I don't know. I just know this is what I felt. But on this I am confident. I've read too much, studied too much, lived too long, and pastored too long. Not to know that we have wonderful saints in this building that struggle with issues. And they wear great clothes and they comb their hair just right and they shout on Sunday night and they're there on church work days and you couldn't ask for more. But in the lonely moments in the middle of the night, those things come back and your mind is unguarded and your heart begins to race. That's what I came to tell you today. That God can deliver you forever forever not till the next meeting not till the next church service but you can leave it here you don't just throw it on the floor and dance on top of it and then pick it up and go home with it you leave it there once and for all and I'm here to tell you God wants to do that tonight they're going to sing a song if you're not already at the front and you'd like God to do something for your life I'm asking you to step out and come to the front. It is not a shame. For some reason, the devil also tells us it's a shame if you go up there. Like something's wrong with you. Hello, if you're not up here, something's wrong with you. 